Uh, if you could please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Um, the passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 881. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was <clears throat> of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how we might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. And since some of you are probably wondering if uh, Lily is in labor uh, because the Klatskis are not here, that is not the case as far as I know. But uh, Abigail uh, was sick last night, so uh, that's uh, why they are not here. Also, uh, the Jackies are not here today. Um, uh, her husband, I mean her uh, father, was taken to uh, the hospital uh, last night. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, uh, we thank you that you are a gracious and sovereign God, that uh, you know uh, our sicknesses, our illnesses. Lord, we um, ask for uh, your mercies uh, to uh, be on uh, all who are sick. And Lord, we ask that you would also uh, fill us with your spirit as we open your word today. Um, Lord, be with uh, Shelley's father, uh, be with uh, little Abigail, heal them even uh, this morning as you feed us uh, with the word of life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I hope to remind all of us that uh, we are sinners and that the power of sin, though smashed in Jesus Christ, can still be powerfully influential in our lives. Sin does not control us, but can deceive us in more ways than we might expect with the world going crazy right now, with wickedness exploding in full color before our eyes daily, it's tempting for us to take the stance of standing above it all, looking down our noses, um, and judge ourselves to be righteous simply because we are not as bad as the world is. I would, I would warn you, don't go down that path. Simply look to Jesus Christ and his perfect righteous impu righteousness imputed to you. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are righteous in him, not in comparison 
with the world. My plan this morning is to examine the sinful desires of the chief priests, the scribes, and Judas. Their murderous plot is often called the greatest crime ever committed in the entire history of the world. But what lie behind uh, their crime? What was driving them in their plot? Why did they carry out this evil of... Um, of seeking to take the Lord Jesus to the cross. And I think we'll see that their root desires are not too different uh, from the sins that we might allow to be cultivated in our own soul. So let's look at the chief and the scribes first. Uh, you will remember we spent several weeks in Luke chapter 20 observing how Jesus dismantled every challenge that the religious leaders brought before him. If you're visiting with us, we have been going through the book of Luke uh, passage by passage, and so we are nearing the end. We are in chapter 22, and uh, chapter 20 was one challenge to the Lord Jesus after another, and he thoroughly embarrassed the religious leaders in every challenge. He highlighted the uh, utter hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Um, he threatened uh, their lifestyle as he was teaching and preaching, and the, the crowds were coming after him, and his teaching and preaching uh, was aimed Many times at the religious leaders, remember the uh, parable of the tenants, of the wicked tenants, and they perceived that uh, Jesus was teaching this parable against them. And on top of this, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And so the hatred of the religious leaders was very rational. It simply flowed downhill from the threats that they were, feel, from they were feeling uh, as Jesus was teaching, because their livelihood, their standing in the community, and their whole way of life was being shaken to the core. If the people con continued to follow Jesus, they reasoned, then the leisured lifestyle of the religious elite would come crashing down. Uh, and their reaction to Jesus, uh, frankly, is quite typical. For example, I think we see it uh, in our nation today. There's a populist mood that sweep in our nation. And I've been stunned at the lengths that the political elite have been willing to go to use government powers to quell the, the opposition from the citizens. Quite frankly, uh, I see the political left actively abusing power, and I see the political right in far too many cases, standing by passively to allow the left to do what they're doing. Um, the whole lot uh, seems to be more concerned about their loss of standing than representing the people uh, whose rights are being abused. And we see this pattern um, throughout history, frankly. But then we might ask, well, what about us? Well, we see our way of life being threatened by Pride Month, by children, by the sexualization of children in our school system, by the pervading wokeism 
uh, in our culture and the godless secularism that is being crammed uh, down our throats. And we might be tempted to protect our way of life, maybe even our livelihoods, in a way that is not driven by faith or trust in God, but rather we might respond with hatred toward our fellow citizens. And that would be equally as sinful. We have an obligation to stand against the wickedness in our society. Uh, and if the Supreme Court uh, overturns Roe versus Wade, which many people are thinking might happen this week, either Monday or Wednesday, um, things could get interesting. But as we stand against the tidal wave of wickedness, we must do so by faith. We must do so trusting in the Lord. We must act in a way that is pleasing to him. We must act in a way that is loving toward our neighbors, even toward our enemies. Otherwise, we might act as foolishly and wickedly as the religious leaders who were driven by desires to protect their way of life and their livelihood. Generally, wicked acts are not driven by desires to be wicked, but by self-concerned desires that do not appear to be wicked to the people who are committing those acts. Uh, sometimes some of the most wicked acts that are committed are committed because of outraged righteousness aimed in the wrong direction. Uh, the religious leaders terribly wanted to rid the world of Jesus. They found him to be a threat, but they were in a quandary. Jerusalem was swollen with crowds. Um, all these hundreds of thousands of people had crammed into Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and the people were hanging on Jesus' every word in order to arrest Jesus, as the religious leaders were planning to do. They could not do so publicly. Uh, to do so would uh, to, to arrest Jesus publicly would, to be, would risk a riot. So they needed a moment when Jesus was alone, when he was secluded. And so we see this in verses 1 and 2. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. But how would they know? when that opportune time might come, when, the peop when Jesus would not be around everybody else. Uh, well, it would be helpful to have a spy within the inner circle to give them inside information so that they could arrest Jesus when no one else was around. And verses 3 through 6 describe how um, a conspiratorial relationship began between the religious leaders and Judas. Uh, let me remind you of verses 3 through 6 again. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priest and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Why would Judas do this? Now, Satan is mentioned in verse 3. He certainly had a hand in that. 
Uh, we'll look at Satan's role next week, but for now, we're going to focus on Judas. Judas had been with the Lord Jesus all three years. He had heard his preaching. He had seen Jesus' miracles. In fact, he had even, Judas himself had performed miracles when, Judas, or when Jesus sent out the twelve to go and visit all the, the, the villages in Judah to preach that the kingdom of God was near. So Judas had to close his eyes to all of this in order to betray Jesus. And it seems impossible, frankly, that he could do so. What would bring him to betray Jesus? Well, we get a hint of this, in, or a hint of his motive in verse 5. It says, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. What's the old saying? Follow the money? In Matthew's account, it's clear that Judas was the one who brought up the subject of compensation. Matthew 26, verses 15 and 16, Judas said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, from that moment that he received the 30 pieces of silver, he sought an opportunity to betray him. I'd also remind you of John chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, where Judas objected to Mary of Bethany uh, because she wasted all that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. So in John chapter 12, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, uh, John notes, uh, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and having cha charge of the poor, I'm sorry, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. In other words, Judas loved money more than anything else. He loved it so much that he was willing to betray Jesus to be executed. His betrayal was very rational. It simply flowed downhill from his love of money. It's shocking that Judas betrayed Jesus, but it's often shocking what people will do for money. Uh, Philip Ryken commented, Many Christians think of the love of money as one of the lesser sins, but see where it leads. When we refuse to be content with our financial situation, whether we happen to be rich or poor, we open the door to fatal temptation. An ordinary temptation, in other words, led to the greatest betrayal in world history. Great acts calculated. Uh, great acts of calculated wickedness do not just happen in a vacuum. They start as desires that are nursed secretly in our hearts and in our imagination. Small desires lead to daydreams, lead to imaginations. What if I had a million dollars? What would I do with a million dollars? Just imagine all the the uh, 
happiness. Just imagine all the opportunity if I had that money. And then desire leads to temptation and temptation, to paraphrase uh, James chapter 1, gives birth to sin. We must fight for holiness at the level of our desires. If we are nursing ungodly desires while trying to lead outwardly God-pleasing lives, we're fighting a losing battle. It is who we are in our heart that determines who we are. Remember Luke uh, chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, how our Lord Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and an evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks with smartphones and every person's pocket and televisions in every room our mind our imagination our heart is filled with things that would lead us away from communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and away from godly desires we are fed a constant diet of ungodliness Our imagination is continually stimulated in unwholesomeness. Our conscience is dulled as a result, and temptation gives birth to sin. This was the path that Judas took en route to to perpetrating the greatest evil in all of history. An ordinary temptation nursed secretly in his heart. If he wasn't stealing from the money bag, none of the other disciples would have known what what Judas was thinking in his heart. So I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Guard your hearts. Nurture godly desires. Spend time with God. Drink deeply from his word. Often speak to him in prayer about what you're reading. In other words, commune with him. Your heart is not inactive and indifferent. Your heart's not this uh, tabla rasa, this neutral uh, entity. God created your heart for worship. He created your heart to worship him. If you're not worshiping him, by definition, you're worshiping something else. And seeking after cravings that are displeasing to him. Make God the the object of your heart's worship and, and, uh, and seek to love him. Keep your heart focused on God. Listen to how Solomon pled with his son to keep his heart for God in Proverbs Uh, 4 verses 20 through 23 and we know from reading our Bibles that uh, Solomon's pleading fell on deaf ears Um, his Solomon uh, I mean his son Rehoboam did not listen to Solomon's advice he let his heart go astray after ungodliness he lost the kingdom of uh, Israel 
and frankly, he lost his soul. And so in Proverbs 4, uh, we read, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with vigilance, for, for from it flow the springs of life. Young people, keep your heart for the Lord. Look to the Lord uh, focus on what pleases him. Seek after him. Because there's so many influences coming from every direction that would lead you away from him. Guard your heart for the Lord. So how can we keep ourselves from being carried away by sinful desires. The religious leaders, they were carried away by sinful desires for self-protection. Judas was carried away by sinful desires rooted in the love of money. Very ordinary desires that were nurtured and grew out of control and were, um, were poisoned from the start because it was self-love rather than love for God that was motivating them. So how can we keep ourselves from being carried away by our own sinful desires? Well, first of all, we have to remember that uh, we are vulnerable to sinful desires arising in our own soul. We must be humble enough to flee to Christ for continual help. The good news is that our Lord Jesus is full and overflowing of grace to help us. Secondly, we need to remember that what Christ what Christ has already done for us, he has already broken the power of sin in the lives of believers. We are no longer enslaved to sin. But sin, even though it is a dead carcass, the, the fumes from that carcass waft up into our lives and break out into the open. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that it's a rule that when we want to do right, evil is close at hand. But sin and temptation are defeated enemies in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not compelled to sin. We can obey God. We can grow in holiness. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Believe the gospel facts. Christ has broken the power of sin. You can present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. And then thirdly, remember that we are not fighting against sinful desires all by ourselves. God the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your soul if you belong to the Lord Jesus. Christ broke the power of sin in us. Now the Holy Spirit helps us to, con to cultivate godly desires that will grow into godly patterns of living. In those quiet moments, 
when you are tempted to nurture ungodly desires that no one else can see, that are secret only to you, and of course God, because he knows all things. When those temptations seem overpowering and you are thinking of giving yourself to this or that sin, you are not alone. You are not powerless. God the Holy Spirit is with you and has promised to help you. Believe his promises and seek his help. Seek to walk according to his desires. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, seek to walk um, with the Holy Spirit rather than the desires of your flesh. And then I, I must say a word to unbelievers and I'll be finished. If you are outside of Jesus Christ, you are still enslaved to your sin. You are not as bad as you could be, but you are as slave to sin nonetheless. You are in a helplessly dangerous spot. All you can do is cry out to the Lord Jesus for mercy. And I, I urge you to do so today. The good news is that you'll find mercy in him. You will find in him salvation. You will find in him freedom from the enslaving power of sin. And in him you will find his gracious smile and acceptance. Look to him. Look to him today as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we uh, come before you and thank you that uh, you are our Savior. That you have done everything necessary uh, for our life with you. That you have done necess everything necessary for our growth in grace and godliness. Oh Lord, I ask that you um, help us to uh, fight diligently against the, um, the, the desires of the flesh. I ask that you help us to not have our minds filled with uh, the world and all its influences. Lord, I ask that you help us to be strong in your grace, strong in our uh, reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, be with us as we um, celebrate together as the, the family of Christ, the, the Lord's Supper. Strengthen us for our fight uh, with sin and our uh, victory in Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. <laughs>